0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, your boy on social media at MMALOTN and the architect behind the MMA Fight Archive where we've recently surpassed 3,000 fighter profiles for you to study to ensure that you leave no stone unturned when you're studying for these upcoming MMA events. Not just the UFC, but we got a ton of other promotions like the PFL, Bellator, Contender Series, LFA, KSW, ACA, Octagon, UAE Warriors, Invicta FC, the list goes on and on we appreciate all the subscribers thus far and we look forward to having even more of you guys jump on board but if you want to try it out for free there is a seven day free trial available check the link in the description below for that once again that is the MMA Fight Archive appreciate all the love and support thus far all right we got UFC Vegas 86 on tap this weekend with another middleweight headliner between Jack Hermanson and Joe Pfeiffer. Obviously, Hermanson looking to rebound from that loss to Roman Delize and an injury that he's coming back from. And on the flip side with Joe Pfeiffer, he's looking to continue the momentum ever since he got his contract from the Contender Series. In the co event, we have Dan Ige, the perennial co eventer, taking on short notice. Replacement Andre Feely. Ton of other solid fights, and this is all in the lead up to the big UFC 298 pay-per-view card, which takes place next weekend. Headline by Alexander Volkanovsky and Ilya Tapuria. All right, before we get into the rest of the podcast, what I love to do is go over the lock of the night and dog of the night predictions of the previous event, but I'm gonna open it up even more to just going over the entire track record of this past week and obviously starting off there's only two events that we did We'll start off with the UFC Vegas 85 card. Uh, the lock of the night comes to five units at minus 138 on Jung Jung Lee. A lot of people were uh, skeptical about his takedown defense, especially after his performance that he had against Yi Jia last year. It's clear that he's made takedown defense improvements, but I still have some question marks in terms of his cardio, especially as he continues to take steps up in competition. Luckily for him, Blake Builder was the type of guy that he could go out there and beat, stuffed the takedowns, landed more damaging blows, nearly finished him a couple times as well, but that is what a lock of the night should look like, especially at minus 138, so happy with that. That now brings our lock of the night record for 2024 to 6-1, 86% hit rate, very happy about that. On the flip side, for the dog of the night candidate that we had, or dog of the night prediction, it was the uh, Yulia Stoliarenko versus Luana Carolina fight to go under two and a half rounds. The fight did... Did finish, but unfortunately, I was not at that under two and a half round mark. So we're a minus 1.5 units there. That was plus 120 again. I really expected Stolyarenko to get those takedowns early and be able to snatch up the armbar. She had a couple close attempts. The belt saved. Carolina in one of those instances and then it seemed like Stolyarenko was just completely gassed after that hence why Carolina was able to get her out of there in the final seconds of that third round that drops our dog of the night record to four and four 50% hit rate through the first eight dog of the night candidates or predictions I keep calling them candidates I'm so used to just dropping the top three lock of the night and top three dog of the night candidate videos so Apologies for that. Uh, Let's talk about the rest of it. We'll go top down now. Obviously, Kizriyev, that's a no contest. That ends up being a push with Muradov with that fight uh, due to an illegal eye poke or unintentional eye poke. So we don't get any resolution there. Uh, As at maximum, minus 1.98 units there. Great performance from Charles Johnson. We saw that... Um, the urgency from him again you know that's what made him so successful on the regional scene and it seemed like he felt the fire that was under his feet especially considering he was on a three-fight losing streak um, great work from him in there Dropped the first round but then he wins the next two rounds uh, unfortunate for us obviously as I was very high on Azat Maxim uh, has some things that he needs to um, fix still but uh, good learning experience for him against an experienced fighter like Charles Johnson uh, we get one point five units on Markel Medeiros in a very close fight against landing Quinones I thought Medeiros did enough to win that fight his output and cage control overdid the um, or at least nullified the amount of damage that Quinones was landing because it just wasn't frequent enough he had the speed and uh, power advantage it seemed but it seemed like Medeiros was unfazed by most of those shots and he was able to stick to his game plan of just forward pressure landing shots hitting that calf uh i wish we'd see a little bit more output so it wasn't so close um when the fights did hit the scorecards but still ends up getting the dub there happy with that the uh chalky parlay of Randy Brown and Natalia Silva hits for us not without too much issue obviously a little bit of concern on Silva's ability to work out of the cage clinch when her opponents are looking to push her there I was a little bit underwhelmed with her ability to get out of those positions but luckily when she was able to she landed enough significant damage that the judges saw it in her favor and then obviously Randy Brown just absolutely sniping Muslim Salikov and knocking him out in the first round that's plus 1.5 units there and then we took a very small .2 unit stab on Pete Rodriguez to win in round one via knockout at plus 550 gurimbo is the one that ends up winning by knockout <laughs> uh in the first round plus 1000 i wish i took a stab on that as well but uh, all in all plus 2.94 units on ufc vegas 85 happy about that unfortunately we give some of those units back on the event that happened a couple hours after the road to ufc event there were only three fights on it so no lock of the night or dog of the night prediction uh but i did have one unit on kaiwen lee at plus 230 i Thought the line was a little bit wide there. I thought if he'd be able to keep the fight upright, he should be able to get the knockout. But it was Jia that was able to get the better of him in those instances. I'm not sure if it was Lee kind of just a little bit hesitant about the takedowns that were coming his way that let the openings for Yijia be there in terms of the striking realm but he ends up getting knocked out there and then the uh, Ray Suzuruya and Jin she fight uh, over one and a half rounds plus 100 at one unit. Uh, we almost made it to the second round you know I thought we'd see a good enough takedown defense from uh, Jin Yu and uh, he did until the referee decided to stop it with one second left in the first round i really would have loved to see that go into the second as i think that we could have seen that prop actually hit but that does not end up happening so we give two units back there all in all plus 0.94 units on the weekend uh, a d- huge difference from the previous weekend where we had uh big uh, uh big dubs if that's what you want to call it uh, but unfortunately uh just in the black for this past weekend all right uh, quick plug here for the uh, Patreon page. Again, if you guys are enjoying the Lockheed Two-Step and Lockheed Trinity, Lockheed Two-Step were currently 3-0 and o on the year. Lockheed Trinity were 2-1 and one on the year, plus 3.5 units on both. Uh, if you were to wager 1 unit on each of those, uh, I usually drop those for free on Thursdays, but sometimes they the odds get a little bit worse because I drop them for free, uh, not for free, sorry. I dropped them on the Patreon on Mondays. So those people get uh, first dibs on the Locky Trinity and Locky Two-Step. So if you're looking to get early action on those parlays, hop onto the Patreon page for the Lock of the Night and you'll be able to see it there. Otherwise, wait till Thursday and maybe it might go in your favor and the uh, odds end up becoming better for you there. But Check out the Patreon page, a ton of great content on there, written breakdowns, not to mention just for the UFC, but for LFA, KSW, ACA, Octagon, and Cage Warriors, Uh, we do work out there. I put a lot of work into this stuff, and uh, the Patreon folks, I'm forever indebted to you guys for continuing to show support. Uh, And lastly, shout out to the Godzilla Wins folks as they continue to provide your boy a platform to drop written content to the public, Wednesdays we drop the main event breakdowns, and then Thursdays, we do the three best money line spots. I believe we just swept this past weekend as well. Very happy about that. Um, Make sure you guys check it out. Links for those will be in the description below once they are published and uploaded to the website. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All right, without further ado, we got 14 fights to break down for this UFC Vegas 86 card. So let's not waste any more time and get right into it. First fight up is a flyweight matchup between, or sorry, a bantamweight matchup between Daniel Marcos and arichi Lang. We'll start off on the Marcos side, who's coming off of a very close split decision victory over Davy Grant. I believe it was split decision. Regardless, very close fight. A lot of people thought that Davy Grant should have won that fight, but Marcos did enough with his calf kicks and the damage that he was landing there. Even though it was a closer fight, I would have liked to see a little bit more work from him. Marcos is a solid striker like I said likes to pound that calf kick when he sees that opening there for him but I've also seen him take a grappa heavy approach on the regional scene that he can be effective with against certain opponents depending on the stylistic clash that he has ahead of him he's a solid fighter all around this guy has a 15-0 record working very closely with Charles Rosa ever since he moved stateside and it seems like he continues to prove every time out he's thirty years old still so he has a ton of upside in terms of the amount of experience that he still has ahead of him and how good he can actually turn out to be I, again I, since the contender series it seems like he's very much been ho- focusing on his striking but hopefully he learned uh, uh, some veteran things from Davy Grant in his last matchup to ensure fights are not as close as they were that time around his opponent this weekend, Arichi Lang, is coming off of a decision victory over Johnny Munoz Jr., where he showcased solid takedown defense and even better submission defense. He found himself in some sticky situations earlier on in that matchup, but was able to survive long enough, get back to the feet, and land the more damaging blows in the striking realm. It seemed like Munoz Jr. was very much demoralized in that matchup, hence why Arichi Lang was able to pull away with that fight as it got into deeper waters. Richie Lang has found it difficult in terms of getting into a group since joining the ufc as he is now three and three through his first six ufc fights his lo- wins are coming against guys that just are subpar in my opinion guys like cameron else jay perron who i don't believe is with the ufc anymore and then johnny Munoz sooner who either gets those submissions early or usually fades away and gets finished or loses a decision like he did against Arichi lang Richie lang again i'm very impressed with the fact that he's decided to fully shackle up over there at fight ready as well as Neuroforce force one to improve his game overall this guy has 36 professional fights and he's 30 years old so he has a tremendous amount of experience under his belt but he has a striking game that he's probably best at when he's able to establish that range now in this matchup it on paper looks like two strikers going at each other but I think that Marcos could have the edge here if he's able to mix in his grappling. He does have a very solid grappling game and his ability to really establish that striking primarily will open up those takedown opportunities in this matchup against Richie Lang who gets a little bit too confident and comfortable in the striking realm when he sees that his opponent is throwing strikes in return. So I look for Marcos to batter the lead leg of Arecha Lang and then eventually look for those takedowns if those open themselves for him. and I look forward to Marcos continuing his undefeated run going to 16 and0 and picking up a decision victory here. Next up, we got Haider Emil taking on Fernie Garcia in the featherweight division. Obviously, Garcia, normally a bantamweight, taking this fight on short notice and having to go up a weight class to take it. But we'll start off on the Hyder Emile side, who's coming off of a contender series victory over uh, Emrah Sonmez, a very close back and forth grappling battle. And I was kind of surprised to see a lot of people were up in arms about it being boring. I'm like, hey, do you not see the amount of energy that these guys are exerting trying to dominate that grappling realm and looking to get a dominant position? Both guys were working and, uh, relentlessly uh, throughout those 15 minutes, which is why they looked completely gassed by the time the final bell rang. But it was Hyder Emil who was able to get his hand raised that night and winning it by decision and most importantly earning a UFC contract. He is a Gilbert Melendez disciple coming from that scrap pack and he is a very talented fighter eight and old record 33 years old so i wish he was a little bit younger but hopefully if he can get off on the right foot here in the ufc he can start trudging towards that uh, top 15 ranking and try to fight the top guys. But this is an all-gas, no-breaks type fighter. He likes to come forward. He likes to put pressure on his opponents. He likes to drown them with his grappling and either finding finishes from that top position or grinding them out over 15 minutes. His striking could use a little bit of improvement still in my uh, opinion, but I think that his grappling alone is good enough to get him into the rankings of the featherweight division. His opponent... Normally a bantamweight, like I said at the top there. Fernie Garcia is riding a three-fight losing streak and comes into another very tough matchup for him, especially one that could potentially get him cut from the UFC if he doesn't get his hand raised. But it seems like the UFC did see the fact that he was doing them a favor by taking the Rinya-Nakamura fight last time around as Nakamura came into that matchup as a massive favorite and showcased why he is a high-level blue-chip prospect that we should keep our eyes on. But Garcia... A little bit questionable. The guy has slick boxing, crisp combinations, and that's how he normally gets off on his offense and his victories. But he's been winless in the UFC. His win on the contender series was against a very low level opponent, in my opinion. And I think that we'll see uh him possibly exposed once again by the better grappler and hydra emil in this situation i think emil's size advantage here i believe it's a three inch height and three inch reach advantage not to mention the strength advantage he should likely have here this should allow him to get this fight into uncompromising positions for uh sorry compromising positions for Fernie Garcia, which will allow Emil to grind this fight out, utilizing his strength and grappling advantage to grind this out and get a victory on the scorecards. Moving over to the light heavyweight division, we got Zach Paunga going up against Bogdan Guskov. We'll start off on the Pauga side, who's coming off a close decision loss to uh, Modestis Bukowskis last time around. I truly thought that Paunga deserved to win that fight, but it didn't help that he was getting hurt early on in that matchup. But Paunga is a guy that can use almost any martial art and win a fight, whether it's his striking with his explosiveness and his speed, or his grinding ability up against the cage to use his strength and and just intimidating uh, frame to keep opponents up against the cage or even look to drag them to the ground and do big damage from on top it's unfortunate that he's 35 years old with only eight professional fights but this is a guy that came from the football world and has been trying to make it in the MMA world ever since his football dreams were snatched away from him but this guy is very highly trained over there at Team Elevation, and he's very well-rounded for a guy that started MMA so late in his uh, life, but a very solid fighter, a guy that can still go out there and compete against some of the, uh, you know, top 20 to top 15 guys and potentially find himself with a ranking beside his name. His opponent this weekend, Bogdan Guskov, is coming off of a uh, loss in his UFC debut where he got submitted by Volkan Uzdemir. Now, this guy... Guskov is one that loves to throw big hands, loves to knock out his opponents early as the five fight winning streak that he had coming into the UFC were all first round knockout victories that he had which ultimately got him signed to the big promotion. But he relies too heavily on that knockout power, which could get him in trouble against the more well rounded UFC fighters here. And I feel like he's fighting a more well rounded guy here in Zach Paunga. I think Paunga will be able to grind this fight up against the cage, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if it looks similarly to that Jordan Wright fight that he had. It's going to be boring, it's going to be slow. It's going to be a grind as well, but I think it's one that he should be able to get off here on Guskov. But you got to be a little bit questionable about the uh, durability and fragility of Paunga if he's unable to get off on that grind. And if he does eat a couple of early shots here from Bogdan, things could go wayward for him very quickly. Even in the fight against Bukowskis, he didn't get knocked out, but he ate some big shots that didn't look like he was reacting, reacting to them that well. Uh, and I expect Paunga, uh, he will get hit a couple times here, so you're going to have to be crossing your fingers and hoping that he can take those big shots because eventually I do believe if he's able to get through those shots, he should be able to get to his grind, and that should be able to wear on Bogdan, and this could either produce a late finish for Paunga, or he goes out there and just grinds this out over 15 minutes, getting his hand raised by decision. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Max Payne Griffin going up against Jeremiah Wells. We'll start off on the Griffin side. He's looking to bounce back after he lost to Michael Morales last time around. That was a fight where he had some early success but Morales was able to rally back in the second and third rounds hurting Griffin numerous times and eventually grinding him out in that third round to get the decision victory. Now Griffin is a guy who's 38 years old and has a ton of experience under his belt but he's a well-rounded fighter that utilizes his speed and explosiveness early in fights but also has the ability to grind out his opponents just as he did against Carlos Condit several fights back. This guy is a guy that can is reliable against the veterans and the top 30 of the division, but as he starts taking steps up in competition against harder opponents, he starts to fall short, as we saw against Neil Magni and Michael Morales. His opponent this weekend, Jeremiah Wells, is looking to bounce back after his first UFC loss that he suffered at the hands of Carlson Harris. He had a solid start to that fight, but in the second round, he started to slow down, and Harris was able to lock up that Anaconda choke and put him to sleep. Actually, I think it was the beginning of the third round. But we know that's Wells' issue, right? This guy starts off hot and either finishes his opponents early or is able to grind them out over 15 minutes, but he looks like a skeleton in the second and third rounds trying to do so considering how gas and exhausted he normally is this kid is or this guy I should say is 37 years old he's definitely not a young prospect by any means considering that this is going to be his sixth UFC fight but he is a guy that's very dangerous in the early going and is very strong with that top pressure when he's able to secure takedowns it's insane the amount of adversity he f- faced in the Matthew Summersberger fight getting knocked down I believe three times in that matchup but still being able to pull off The decision victory because of his tenacity and ability to just secure takedowns and that control time from that top position. This is a tough fight to really call because Griffin has a tremendous amount of experience, but I think he's going to falter under the power of Jeremiah Wells here. Whether that's an early knockout, which is ultimately going to be my prediction, or a grind out over 15 minutes, I just don't know if Griffin has what it takes to stay away from the danger that Jeremiah Wells presents. The odds. You know, a little bit too close at this time uh, in my opinion. Uh, but I do think that Wells still ends up getting his hand raised. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Devin Clark taking on Marcin Pratniel. You got Clark coming in as a minus 210 favorite and plus 180 the return on Pratniel. Let's start off on the Clark side though, who's coming off of a loss to, or a submission loss to Kennedy and Zechuku. That's now two and three over his last five fights. Clearly trading wins and losses over his last several fights and this is a guy that is unable to get much consistency going in the UFC. He uh, can squeeze out some victories over guys like Dao Jung and William Knight, utilizing his clinch and his grappling. Uh, the guy seems to have some big knockout power, but is unable to translate that into any victories in the UFC. He hits with a lot of power, like I said, but he usually cr- crashes the pocket so that he can get into the clinch with his opponent and try to drag them to the ground where he's usually able to grind them out from that top position but seems like he has a bit of a cardio issue at times, which leaves him susceptible to getting choked out or knocked out by opponents in the past, and that's kind of his question mark, especially at 33 years old now. He's unable to usually get over that hump against some of these more dangerous opponents. His opponent this weekend, Martin Pragnio, is looking to bounce back from a submission loss to Vitor Petrino, and uh, Pragnio is a guy that normally utilizes his karate style of striking, blitzing in and out of his opponent's range, and trying to attack them with kicks and punches straight down the pipe. He's a little bit sketchy in terms of his own uh, durability, uh, but also his takedown defense, which is something that I feel that Devin Clark should be able to take advantage of in this matchup. If Clark is able to stay away from the knockout power of Pracknell, he should be able to push him up against the cage, put him into uncomfortable positions, and drag him to the mat. But at minus 210, that line is just a little bit too wide for me to trust somebody as inconsistent and flimsy as Devin Clark. That's been his big issue. He's had fights where he's winning, but he just fumbles the bag every so often that it just makes it hard to trust him. When I originally studied this matchup, he was around minus 180, so it seems like people are starting to trust Clark even more, pushing him up to that minus 210 line. I'll still take him to win this fight. I still think he wins by decision, but it is a closer fight, in my opinion, than the odds indicate. Next up, we got a strawweight matchup between minus 270 favorite Loma Lukbunmi as she takes on plus 230 underdog Bruno Brasil. We'll start off on the Lukbunmi side, who's on a two-fight winning streak, but picking up the biggest win of her career last time around as she submitted Elise Reed, I believe for the first submission victory in her UFC career. I believe it's second overall, but it just showcases that she's truly trying to improve her takedown, or sorry, her Total grappling game, right? She's a Thai fighter that comes from a Muay Thai background. And you can see just the ferocity in which she strikes with the kicks that she throws. You can see the damage on Elise Reed's leg a couple minutes into that matchup after only landing a few of those kicks. Bumi is normally an atomweight fighter who is being forced to fight at strawweight due to the UFC's lack of atomweight division. She's very small at five foot one with a 61-inch reach, but her tenacity and aggressiveness with her striking normally makes her very live to go out there and win matchups. Her only UFC losses are Lupito Godinas and Angela Hill, which are not bad at all believe her overall our ufc record now is six and two um she's very well-rounded uh you know becoming a, a better grappler as well but she still makes some certain mistakes in the grappling realm which could get her in trouble against better opponents her opponent this weekend will have a five inch height and four inch reach advantage in the form of bruna presil who bounced back to from a very unfortunate loss to Denise gomez a couple fights back last time around she defeated shauna bannon in a fight where she utilized her footwork movement and blue. Blitzing attacks to her, Bannon from distance, but also her clinching and her uh, strength in the clinch and grappling realm, where she was able to take Bannon down or even push her up against the cage and control that fight for large portions of the matchup. Marcella seems like a fighter that's very talented, but it seems to be in her own way some sort of mental block in terms of keeping keeping her from performing at her best. She has a great frame for the division. She has good power. She has good speed. She has good footwork. But she just needs to pull the trigger a little bit more or try to take advantage of the advantages she normally has in uh, her matchups. Like this fight against Loma Me. She should take advantage of the strength advantage she'll have and likely the grappling advantage as well. This would be a fight that Luke Mi should not try to take this fight into the grappling realm, as I think that the strength and jujitsu jitsu advantage that Brazil holds will be able to allow Brazil to either throw up submissions or pull off reversals and then damage Luke Mi from that top position, which is why I'm a little bit surprised that the line is as wide as it is. I think people are looking into the fact that there's that triangle between Luke Bunmi, uh Brazil, and uh, Denise Gomez. Luke Mi defeating Gomez, Brazil coming up very short against Gomez um but I think that stylistically speaking this is a fight that's winnable for Brazil plus 230 is way too wide for a fighter uh who has the potential that Brazil has in my opinion I get it uh Denise was able to catch uh Brazil a couple of times so look me should be able to have some striking uh success in this fight as well but it's kind of her potential to puten- uh, put this fight into the grappling realm where I believe that Brazil should be able to get some uh, t- submission attempts or even reversals that could get her better spots in this fight i think even if priscilla utilizes her clinch, you know obviously luke wunmi has some good muay thai clinch uh moves but if priscilla is able to push this up against the cage keep luke wunmi uncomfortable keep her off balance she should be able to get the better of those instances landing some damage and potentially even getting a, a a takedown where she can do big damage from on top so I'm going to lean with the underdog here at plus 230. I think this line is just way too wide. There's probably a lot of hype on Luke Bumi and get it. I, uh, I get it. Luke Bumi is a very talented fighter. Still only 28 years old, continues to get better. And I'm a big fan of hers. You know, I've, I've backed her uh, spots in the past as well. But this is a fight where I feel like the strength and the size of Brazil and BJJ advantage could potentially be the difference maker. So I'm going to go with Brazil and Brazil by decision, possibly even by submission as well. Moving over to a lightweight banger that we got on tap here. We got plus 245 on the returning Demir Hadzovic. Uh, he goes up against the minus 285 debuting Balaji Oki we'll start off on the Demir Hadzovic side who's coming off of a grinding decision loss to Mark Diakasi and that caused Demir Hadzovic to sit on the sidelines for a while as he tried to recover from a knee injury now he's going to be returning after an extended layoff and looking to showcase his Bosnian bomber hands as he goes out there and tries to strike with the another striker in Balaji Oki Hadzovic is a guy at 37 years old is obviously on the decline And you got to wonder how much a significant knee injury surgery and recovery is going to have an effect on somebody of his age and how that could impact him in this matchup against a young upstart who's looking to take his head off. Hadzovic, at his best, utilizes his striking combinations and power to hurt his opponents and either put them away or batter them over 15 minutes to get his hand raised by decision. His opponent this weekend, Balaji comes in with an 8 1 record, only losing his professional debut, but now battling or rattling off eight straight victories where he's mainly showcased his knockout power. He's gone out there and fought to a decision in the past as well against a very tough opponent, but showcased that he can withstand that de- the deep waters utilizing his power and explosiveness to hurt his opponents and uh, more than likely finish them by knockout or at least go out there and win a decision. But this is a guy that stands firm. He digs deep whenever he plants his feet to throw in the pocket he throws with a lot of power and can showcase that he has uh, a ton of ability to finish opponents like this guy's very quick very fast he's still very young and he has his lack of experience could co- eventually come back to bite him in the ass against some of the ufc level competition he's going to be going against but his power will be able to get him through those first couple of fights just as i believe he should be able to hear against the aging uh, and returning from injury <laughs> demir adzevich uh, odds A little bit too wide to be trusting a guy, uh, you know, at minus 285, so young in his career against somebody as experienced as Hadzovic, but considering how these guys match up, I got to lean with Oki as I think he should be able to uh, find that early knockout here. I think his speed and power is going to be too much for Hadzovic, and that ring rust is going to come back to bite him in the ass. So give me Budlaji, Oki by first round knockout. Moving over to the welterweights, we got another contender series sign here, taking on uh, Signee here, taking on a UFC veteran. We got Trevin Giles coming in at plus two hundred five, going up against Carlos Proches, who comes in at minus two forty. Now we'll start off on the Giles side, who had his two fight winning streak snapped by Gabriel Bonfim last time around, where Bomfim was able to submit him within a minute of that fight taking place. Giles is a guy that has a BJJ black belt himself, but is best when he's able to get his striking going, utilizing his lightning fast jab to touch up his opponents from distance and just stay treading at range and battering them from uh, from distance. Uh this is a guy 31 years old who's still uh you know kind of young in his career but really still trying to find his footing in this welterweight division with this now being his fifth fight uh at 170 pounds. This guy's a lifelong middleweight but also has competed at light heavyweight in the past and you can see that he continues to drain himself to make this welterweight weight class he had to change a lot of things in his life to continuously make this 170 pound mark but it seems like it's going to continuously affect his um his durability, and his fragility, especially against guys that are better strikers overall. His opponent this weekend, Carlos Proches, is 17-6, one of the more uh, experienced fighters coming into the contender series and then eventually getting signed to the UFC. He's 30 years old and comes from a Muay Thai background, but has been competing in MMA for a long time now, which has made him quite well-rounded. He's faced a lot of fighters that look to grapple him and take him to the mat, but he showcased improved uh, takedown defense, Every time, he's in showcased improved get-ups, which allow him to operate at distance, which is where he usually finds his most success. He'll have a 1-inch height and 4-inch reach advantage in this matchup over the veteran Giles. And I think after stuffing a couple of the early takedowns from Giles, we'll see Brod- Prachas really get comfortable in the cage and eventually find a knockout over Giles in the first, probably in the 2nd the or 3rd round as Giles start to slow down. This is a big test for process which is why i'm not so privy on that minus 240 line but i think that he is experienced enough already has faced enough grapplers in the past to be able to keep this fight upright and i think he'll be able to work past the jab of trevin jaws here and eventually let him up with kicks faster punches and good counters to eventually find the chin of jaws and put him out cold so give me process and process by round two or three knockout Move over to another fight here that was previously scheduled a couple months back, but injuries and illnesses have forced this matchup to finally take place this weekend. We got Adolfo Vieira coming in at minus 120, the grappler, going up against the striker, Armin Petrosian, who comes in at plus 100. Now, this is a very fun matchup between two guys that normally like to go out there and get the finish, Uh, but uh, Armin Petrosian has been unable to secure a finish or even getting finished himself in his last four fights. We'll start off on the Vieira side, though, who's coming off of a uh, submission victory over Cody Brundage, who... (sighs) Can't believe Brundage actually jumped guillotine against a guy like Rodolfo Vieira and then ended up finding himself on his back, which opened up the submission opportunity for Vieira. Now, Vieira is a high level master wizard in the Chujitsu rum, and it's always very difficult when opponents find themselves on their back with uh, Vieira on top of them. This is a guy who's tried to switch up his game so that he doesn't go out there and gas himself like he did against uh, Anthony Hernandez or Chris Curtis, but even though his striking is sticking to the basics of jabbing and throwing a two after that, he still manages to find a way to slow down, allowing his opponents to take over in deep waters. But he was able to get that late victory against Dustin Stolzfus where he struck for the first round, start to grapple in the second round, but eventually open up that third round submission for himself. But it's still a guy that has cardio issues that you need to be wary of. But he's so dangerous through the first seven minutes of a fight that it's hard to truly rely on. Okay, this guy's eventually going to gas. But you have to stay out of submissions to ensure that he gasses first. His opponent, Armin Petrosian, comes from a kickboxing background and showcases that, that during his two-fight winning streak that he currently has over AJ Dobson and... Uh, um, Christian Leroy Duncan uh, in fights where he was able to use combinations from distance his footwork and just combinations just just beautiful combinations with punches and kicks all thrown together and just damages the damaging his opponent from distance he's shown slightly improved takedown defense but solid submission defense and even better get ups which allow him to get back to range and get back to distance to showcase his striking advantage that he normally holds over his opponent's It's just his takedown defense is a big question mark because if he finds himself under a guy like Adolfo Vieira, that might be all uh, that Vieira needs to secure the submission here. But I'm going to believe in Petrosian's improvements in terms of the defensive grappling he's done such a great job in terms of sticky situations especially against a guy like Gregory Rodriguez who was able to get his back and sink in some chokes but we saw the patience and the technical discipline in terms of how to work out of those submissions from Petrosian and if you can showcase that a little bit more here against Vieira you know make Vieira work in the striking realm kicking him to the body slowing him down so that when the submission attempts inevitably come his way he's not as dangerous hopefully Petrosian can stay out of those spots eventually work back to the feet and then potentially find that TKO over Petrosian or over Vieta late in this matchup I'm gonna call it Petrosian TKO round two Uh, fight doesn't go to decision would obviously be my favorite spot in this matchup early Vieta finish or late Petrosian finish I just hope Petrosian decides to put his foot on the gas to get Vieta out of there rather than letting Vieta just you know, go over 20 on takedown attempts like he did against Chris Curtis. But I'm going to go Petrosian here and Petrosian via TKO round two. All right, lightweight matchup next. We got Michael Johnson coming in at minus 125. He goes up against Darius Flowers, who comes in at plus 105. Now, starting off on the Michael Johnson side, who continues to exchange wins and losses throughout his UFC career, most recently coming off of a knockout loss to De- uh, Diego Fajera. That was a fight that he controlled the first round with his striking advantage, utilizing good takedown defense to keep the fight upright, and then his combination striking to touch a Fajera. But Fajera just knew he just needed one big shot to land. On Johnson, that he could get the dub, and that's exactly what ended up happening. Now, johnson is a guy that i have highly criticized in the past for having sketchy fight iq but i think that's something that he's very much worked on and improved and that loss to diego feira was just a case of zigging when he should have zagged and ended up uh, having his lights completely put out this guy is one of the most talented fighters with a near 500 mma record through 40 plus uh professional fights this guy is so talented his striking is elite in my opinion but it's just small mistakes that he makes that causes him uh to 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 lose you know it's it's very unfortunate at 37 years old it's unfortunate that johnson will never get close to a title shot but if he can still go out there and be a very uh, high level gatekeeper for some of these fighters looking to break into the lightweight top 15 then that's what he's going to have to do uh solid striking very high level takedown defense allows him to keep fights in the striking realm it's just Can we rely on his fragility and his chin to keep him in fights? Now, his opponent this weekend, Darius Flowers, is a guy that likes to go out there and knock out opponents, but has showcased that he potentially is not UFC level. He got submitted by Jake Matthews in his last matchup as he showcased very poor cardio and conditioning as he slowed down near the ending of that first round and eventually got submitted in that second round. His contender series win was a... Very iffy win as he, I believe, slammed his opponent to injure, who ended up injuring his arm or his shoulder and that allowed Flowers to get his UFC contract. I do not think Flowers is that good. I believe his EBA, uh, BJJ black belt, but his is not that good. I'd be very surprised if he gets Michael Johnson to the mat here. And I think he's a guy that highly relies on you know, headhunting and looking to knock out his opponents. Now, Johnson is going to have to very much mind his P's and Q's in this matchup, but if he can utilize his jab and his footwork to stay away from the big power of flowers, work the body of flowers and slow flowers down, he should be able to open up knockout opportunities for himself in the second or third round of this matchup. Early on when I studied this fight, I was very skeptical in terms of picking Johnson. Well, betting johnson i should say i'm picking johnson to win this fight no matter what skill wise he is far superior and experience wise far superior to what darius flowers brings to the table here it's just can you trust him with the chin issues that he has but at minus 125 i don't mind taking a little gamble on him here he's a guy that again way better than darius flowers in my opinion way better striker if he can just stay away from the knockout power of flowers he can look like a minus 300 in this spot so you know i had low confidence earlier when I originally started this matchup, but the closer that we're getting to the fight, I'm starting to think that Johnson is a no-brainer play here, especially at that minus 125 line. If you like Flowers, take Flowers by knockout, take Flowers by inside the distance in case he gets a club and sub uh, spot for himself, but he is nowhere near the level of Michael Johnson. He needs to hope that Johnson's fragility and durability issues break him here. Otherwise, Flowers will be the one that gets knocked out in the second or third round. Give me Johnson and Johnson by knockout. Moving over to the next matchup, we have a middleweight fight here between Brad Tavares, who comes in at plus 195. He takes on Hobo Cop, Gregory Rodriguez, who comes in at minus 230. We'll start off on the Brad Tavares side, who's coming off of a near clean performance against Chris Weidman last time around, where he battered the lead leg of uh, Chris Weidman. I think, you know, 70% of his shots landed to the leg there. I think he landed 40 strikes strictly to the leg. Very beautiful and uh, veteran-type performance from Brad Tavares. We know this guy is a great combination striker, a veteran of the UFC now. He has 28 28 fights, 36 years old, still a decent age to be competitive in the middleweight division. Normally, we see solid takedown defense from him, which allows him to keep fights in the upright realm where he can just utilize his striking advantage over his opponents. I think this is a guy that normally has great durability. I think his losses to Drikas Duplessis, which was by decision in a fight that he got continuously hurt in, but never recorded a knockdown against him. Uh, And then the fight that he lost against Bruno Silva, in my opinion, early stoppage. Um, This is a guy that we can kind of rely on for his durability. So I think those uh, losses to those two guys are anomalies and high level losses as well. Well, at least the Duplessis one, right? Bruno Silva is still a fringe top 15 guy um, who probably would have ended up losing that fight if he had not gotten that early stoppage. But Brad Tavares, very skilled, a lot of experience, veteran type fighter, great striking, good takedown defense, a reliable fighter in my opinion. His opponent this weekend, Gregory Rodriguez looking to continue his, uh, or at least build upon his win from Dennis Tululian last time around. uh, That was on the back end of a brutal knockout loss that he suffered at the hands of Bruno Ferreira to kick off 2023. But it was a one-sided matchup against Tululian, a fight that he was able to quickly take to the ground and smash Tululian from that top position. We know Rodriguez is a BJJ black belt that normally likes to rely on that, but has also been improving his striking, which is where he's able to showcase his knockout power. Power like he had against Julian Marquez and Chidi Njikawani. This is a guy in Rodriguez that he's skilled. He's only 31 years old still, but I wonder if he's just a little bit too confident in his striking realm, which keeps him away from the grappling, which has made him successful in the past. Now, he has obviously shown off his grappling like he did in his uh, Dennis Tululian fight, but it's his ability to show it against guys that have been able to defeat him, right? He tried showing it against Petrosian, but Petrosian had good enough defenses that he was able to eventually work back to his feet and showcase his striking advantage in that matchup. Uh, The Bruno Fajeda fight, maybe struck a little bit too long with Fajeda in that fight, even though he was having early success there and then eventually put him into trouble. Now, I'm kind of surprised that he's a minus 230 favorite in this spot. It, to me, seems like people are trying to fade the durability issues that Brad Tavares has. In my opinion, those are non-issues. I think we'll see Tavares control this fight in the striking realm. I think we'll see him showcase his striking advantage, combination striking and leg kicks. And as long as his chin issues are an anomaly, as I believe they are, uh, Bra- uh, Gregory Rodriguez might you know, uh, strike himself exhausted uh, trying to finish Uh, brad tavares here while tavares is just picking away at him counter striking him and defending the takedowns which will inevitably be coming his way so this line is way too wide for especially a guy in brad tavares who's always live in the majority of his matchups you're talking a guy that's his main losses are Drikas Duplessis, and israel adesanya so i'm going to lean with uh, tavares here the veteran experience the striking advantage hopefully his durability holds up which i believe again is a non-issue And at plus 195, no-brainer spot here. Give me the veteran, Bratavares, to pull off the decision victory. All right, moving on to the next matchup. We got middleweights once again going out of here where we have Robert Bricek going up against Ihor Potieria. Obviously, Potieria is stepping in on short notice after Albert Derive was forced to pull out of this matchup. Uh, But the intriguing thing about Potieria... Normally a light heavyweight making his middleweight debut on short notice, so maybe he was already on his way down to 185, but we'll have to watch the weigh-ins to see if that was the right move for him or not. But starting off on the Birchick side, he is making his UFC debut here. Uh, he's been scheduled a couple times, forced to pull out of a couple of those fights, but finally throws down this weekend. This guy is one of the few fighters that have come over from the Octagon MMA scene, which is blowing, blowing up over there in Europe. Um, very solid fighter with a lot of knockout power, 17-5 and record at 33 years old, Um, good amount of experience getting up there in age, but luckily usually at middleweight, light heavyweight, or heavyweight, you can be a little bit more into your 30s and still find success. Uh, Berchek, has finished all five of his last opponents all during this winning streak that he's currently on. Uh, a guy that loves to finish his fights early, like I said, uh, a ton of explosivity, big power. Uh, he likes to plant from range and throw his big long shots down the pipe. We don't have an actual reach on him, but it seems like a very long guy here, especially with how far he's able to go with his punches. Uh, big power, uh, big explosivity. I just have question marks about his ability to do it against guys that are going to be able to take him into deep waters. Now I had picked Derive over him when we had that matchup originally scheduled and I was more than happy to take a shot on Derive at minus 150. But now with the change in matchup, Maybe he. this is the spot that he ends up uh, getting his hand raised as he's now currently sitting at minus 190. His opponent this weekend, Ihor Potieria, is one in three during his UFC run. His only win coming against the aging and eventual retirement uh, or retired version of Mauricio Shogun Hua, which was a very easy fight for him. You know, we knew the fragility of Hua and Potieria just needed to land that big shot and eventually get him out of there. But he came up short against Nikolai Negumerianu. Carlos Ullberg and most recently against Rodolfo Bellato in a fight that he had him very badly hurt and almost got to finish himself but blew his wad trying to finish Bellato Bellato flipped the script real quick on him and eventually got the finish in the same round Poterria is a guy that relies on early finishes otherwise normally starts to slow down in deep waters and gets finished himself Now this fight to me, which currently has an under 1.5 sitting at minus 240, is a fight that will likely finish inside the distance. I fully expect no matter who ends up getting their hand raised here for it to come inside the distance and it to come in the first round. I'm going to have to lean with the athleticism, speed, and power of Berchek to go out there and get that early win over Potieria. I really like Berchek in the spot. Minus 190 might be a little bit too wide in a fight that Could come down to who ends up landing first, but I think that the speed and agility of Birchek will give him the slight advantage here, not to mention Potieria looking to make a weight class that he has yet to fight in the UFC on short notice may not help his durability and ability to recover from the weight cut that he'll have to put himself through again on short notice. So give me Birchek, under one and a half. I don't mind that chalk at all. I think it hits with relative easier, but give me Birchek to win his fight. First round, knockout. All right. Coming event here we got featherweight Dan Ige coming in at minus 165 going up against short notice replacement Andre Feely coming in at plus 145 now Lerone Murphy was supposed to be opposing Dan Ige this weekend unfortunately Murphy forced to pull out I'm not sure if it was because of an injury or visa issues as he's had tremendous issues in terms of fighting stateside uh since joining the UFC but Dan Ige looking to continue to uh uh, or at least, sorry, bounce back from his loss to Bryce Mitchell last time around. Uh, where it was a close fight but Bryce Mitchell's control and takedowns eventually were the difference maker in that matchup but Dan Ege is a guy that is a BJJ black belt himself though relies heavily on his striking to batter his opponents or eventually find the knockout like he did against Damon Jackson this guy has crisp boxing and high tight defense which is why you see him very rarely hurt by his opponents because he does such a good job in terms of keeping his uh his guard up he does a good job in terms of cutting off the cage, countering his opponents, and putting more than one punch on his opponents whenever he throws his hands. This guy's very experienced, 32 years old, may not ever be a title contender, but a guy that's going to be a very tough L for anybody looking to break into the top 10 of the division. I love his experience. I love his veterancy. I love his head coach, Eric Nixick, and I love the game plan that he normally comes in with. And I think there's a clear line between the fighters he can defeat, like the Nate Landwers, Damon Jacksons, and the guys that he loses against like the bryce mitchells movzaev loevs and josh Emmett's. but i think he's a very reliable fighter his opponent this weekend andre feely comes in off of a big knockout victory over lucas almeida back in december and like i said this is a short notice matchup for him but also an opportunity for feely to finally get the biggest win of his ufc career this guy's a guy that's pretty much had a 500 record since joining the ufc but has been unable to crack into that top 10 A win over a guy like Dan Ige could potentially sign a top 10 spot for him, especially considering how high Dan Ige has made it in the featherweight division himself. But I believe that the, you know, Feely's main calling card is his unorthodox striking, his kicks and long range weapons, but also his ability to mix in the grappling if he feels he has an advantage in that realm but I feel like he's going to be up against it here in the veteran Dan Ige. Now, Feely has a four-inch height and three-inch reach advantage, but I think he's going to struggle to get off on big shots as Dan Ige looks to counter him anytime Feely tries to crash the pocket. I also wouldn't be surprised if Ige looks to take a grapple heavy approach here, which he might not totally be successful in, but will at least open up the possibility for him to change levels, or at least faint changing levels, to open up his boxing and land big shots on Andre Feely. I think we'll see the Better damage and better productivity come from the Danny Ige side, which would eventually go out there and allow him to get a decision victory. Moving over to the main event now, middleweights taking center stage again for the second week in a row. This week, we got Jack Hermanson coming in at plus 190, taking on the young upstart Joe Piper, who comes in at minus 225. Now I'll start off on the Jack Hermanson side, who lost to Roman Delije last time around, where Delije was able to get him into a very compromising position, a calf slicer type position, where Hermanson was belly down and unable, unable to create any type of power or energies to get out of that position, allowing Delije to just batter on him from that top position and get a TKO victory. But Jack Hermansen, at 35 years old, is a guy that normally goes out there and utilizes his grapple-heavy approach to defeat his opponents. His last win actually came from a pedestrian-striking approach against Chris Curtis, where he utilized a lot of lateral movement, kicks from the distance, and did not allow Chris Curtis to get off any pocket exchanges by throwing down in the pocket with him at all. He was fine with just treading at distance, utilizing his height and reach advantage to just pitter-patter Chris Curtis en route to a decision victory. But at his most dominant Jack Hermanson is a guy that can take his opponents to the ground and do big damage from on top with his weird gangly strength that he brings to the table. He's a long and tall fighter for this division, uh, but he's a guy that we've kind of seen his ceiling at this point. And now he's just stuck in that top 10 gatekeeper spot against some of these guys that he has to go up against. His opponent this weekend, Joe Pfeiffer is currently riding a pretty long winning streak now. I believe it's five-fight winning streak, three of those coming in the UFC all by finish. And he's been Dana White's, you know, apple of his eye pretty much since the Contender Series. If you guys remember back in 2021, I believe it was uh, Joe Pfeiffer, or 2022, I could be wrong. I believe it was 2022. Week one, the first four fights, absolutely atrocious. Nobody really got signed other than Joe Pfeiffer when he was able to... uh, uh get that win over ozzy diaz uh knocking him out and then we got that infamous dana white speech saying be joe Pyfer," and it seemed like dana white loved everything about him bought him a house if i'm not mistaken uh and now Pyfer has been kind of basking in uh the the ufc love but they've been giving him some some layups if i'm being honest alan amadovsky trash gerald mirshart slow easy to hurt finished him pretty quickly abdul Razak al-hassan early finisher but gasses quickly as we saw in the Joe Pfeiffer fight and Pfeiffer was able to submit him in that second round but we'll see this is his first true test and Gerald Jack Hermanson who he might be able to catch on a solid, um, at a solid time considering Hermanson is coming back from a pretty bad knee injury recovery and uh, coming back against a killer like Joe Pfeiffer now Pfeiffer early in his career was a guy that utilizes uh, BJJ skills to try to get fights to the ground and grind his opponents out from that top position or finish them from there but recently since the contender series has been looking to utilize the striking and knock his opponents out he has good power in his hands his technique is becoming better as well relies heavily on early finishes but I wonder how he's going to do against a guy in Jack Romanson, who's usually pretty tough to put away I get it, Deleuze finished him by TKO, but that was due to that compromising position that Hermanson was put in. Uh, But if Pfeiffer is unable to get Hermanson out of there early, I wonder what Pfeiffer's cardio is going to look like, especially once he starts to realize that Hermanson's going to be a tough out and tough guy to put away. I have to lean ever so slightly to the veteran here in Jack Hermanson. I have my question marks due to the injuries that he's coming back from, uh, the the youth advantage of Joe Pfeiffer here as well. Uh, but if Hermanson's able to, to stay away from the big power early from Pfeiffer, maybe grind him, make this grindy, clench him up against the cage, uh, wear on him, maybe the veterancy and experience of Hermanson could really take over in this matchup. Um, I'd be... It's tough to trust trust Joe Pfeiffer at minus two twenty five against a veteran like Jack Hermanson, who's normally kind of hard to put away. Uh, which is why I gotta lean with Hermanson, man. I I'm gonna say decision or late stoppage here for Hermanson. Very low confidence. Um, this might be the veteran test that Joe Pfeiffer needs to to incur so that he can become even better moving forward. Um, but I'm gonna go Hermanson and Hermanson by decision or late stoppage. Close fight pass all together for your boy but i'm gonna go with jack romanson here and there you guys go breakdowns of all 14 fights on this ufc vegas 86 card feels like it took me forever to get through this entire card but uh, a ton of fun fights to talk about 14 fights in total hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode reminder that there is a ton of other great content coming throughout the week we got a bunch of uh, regional shows as well and if you're looking for breakdowns for those cards as well make sure you guys check out the patreon page i just quick, quickly want to pull up the uh the fights that we got coming up this weekend uh, that I'll be breaking down so we got LFA 176, ACA 170, Octagon 53 I'll be breaking all of those down on the Patreon page as well so if you just don't want the UFC and you're looking for some regional action check out the Patreon page link in the description below otherwise I will see you guys tomorrow for the top three lock of the night candidates for UFC Vegas 86 see you guys then peace thing but at-